quick note to listeners. This programme contains mentions of domestic violence and racism, as well as women kicking butt. We are powerful. We have choices. If you had told me that I would achieve any of the things that I have achieved, I would have laughed. Brought to you by Rising Girl and Naz Legacy, this is Break the Glass, the podcast that talks to trailblazing women who have broken through barriers to rise up and achieve their dreams. She beamed at me with great delight and said that maybe I could aspire to become a supervisor in Sainsbury's. Don't let other people define you. I'm your host, M. Hashmi. When I was growing up, I was told that I should aim to get a good, clean office job. But more importantly, I was told that I need to get married as soon as possible and have lots of children because that's what good Asian girls did. I did get married, but unfortunately, I suffered domestic violence in the hands of my now ex-husband. More mental than physical, but I had no idea it was domestic violence. It completely knocked my confidence and any ambition that I had at the time. I did not let this experience get in my way. I continued my education, I had three jobs and I was pregnant with my son. I worked really, really hard to get to where I am. And nowadays I work for the BBC. I control my own life, I make my own money, I get to do things I love and help other women to do the same. Now, everywhere I look, I see women like me who have faced issues such as domestic violence and mental health issues, who have had people dismiss them and not believe in them, rise up and achieve their dreams. More and more women and girls from backgrounds like mine are stepping up and demanding a better life for themselves. Women like me do anything we want to do. And that's why I founded Rising Girl to educate, empower, inspire girls like me to become the amazing women I know they can become. Welcome to Break the Glass. In this series, we are going to talk to trailblazers, pioneers, superstars, amazing empowered women who have smashed that glass ceiling and have not only transformed their own lives, but are changing the world. With our partners, Naz Legacy, we wanted to find out their stories to get their secrets to success and inspire the next generation to do the same. Whoever you are and wherever you come from, you can rise. It is such a pleasure and a privilege to be able to speak to all the brilliant young women who have come into this virtual series and I am really delighted to be with you. Today's superstar guest is the Right Honourable Baroness Patricia Scotland QC. Impressive title, I know, right? She's a lawyer and not just any lawyer. When you qualify as a barrister, they say you are called to the bar. People are usually called to the bar at the age of around, say, 29 years old. But Patricia... I qualified as a barrister at 21. 
from this early start, she had an extraordinary career and held many high-level positions in law and government. She has spent a lifetime fighting to change the situations of women around the world and in recent years has risen to the ranks of world government. I stand here as the sixth Secretary General of the Commonwealth, a position I took up in 2016, having been appointed in 2015. The heads of government of the 54 countries of the Commonwealth have entrusted to me the responsibility of serving 2.4 billion people of the Commonwealth as their Secretary General. We are celebrating the post being created 55 years ago, and I am the first woman to hold it. Her achievements are astounding. She is talented and well-respected in a profession where being black and a woman puts her in a tiny minority. Mine has been a fascinating journey, sometimes along lonely roads, sometimes through places filled with family, friends and colleagues. But there have been testing times and times of joy, of elation, as well as anxiety. It has been a life of considerable contrast yet always with a strong sense of a continuing narrative and purpose. I have to tell you that I was always really reluctant to talk about me, but I hope maybe it'll help you to see that in talking about me, I may be talking about you too. Look at her now. She seems amazingly impressive, but as a teenager, she wouldn't have thought this was possible. This is her story. My story begins in a small village in St. Joseph, in Dominica, where I was born. I am the 10th of 12 children. My parents had seven boys and five girls. My mother was from Dominica, my father from Antigua. And at an early age, I moved with my family to England, where I grew up in Walthamstow, in the East End of London. Walthamstow in those days was very different from Walthamstow today. We were the only black family to move into that area when I first arrived. And therefore we stood out in a way that perhaps we would not stand out today. My parents brought me up to believe very firmly that each and every one of us has a special talent. And it was our job to find that talent, to hone it, and to develop it, and then use it for the betterment and benefit of other people. Through school and college and sport and personal attainment, as well as in academic excellence, I was encouraged to aim high. From a young age, Patricia's father was a huge influence on her ambitions. My father was probably the greatest feminist I have known. He instilled in me the understanding that being female ought to be no impediment to what I could achieve, so long as I believed in myself and worked hard. I didn't realise how precious that encouragement and empowerment was because I thought that everyone had parents like mine. The love and the support of my family and my faith in God spurred me on, and perhaps that is what led me to achieve a number of firsts in my career. I first became 
involved in the work to strengthen young women and girls when I was really young, because I qualified as a barrister at 21. And that was the first time that the issues of domestic violence, forced marriage, uh, female genital mutilation, and all those issues first impinged on my consciousness. And it was a shock to me to understand that so many of the girls in the world had not had the warmth, the love, the affection that had enabled me to withstand so much that I had faced until that time. I believe that if you focus not on yourself, but on what you can do for others, it really does make it different. I think that people tend to fall into two categories, and it's a horrible generation, but those who want to be someone and those who want to do something. I have always been in the second category. I've always wanted to do stuff, and in doing stuff, I've become someone. But the focus has always been on the doing. So I would say that the obstacles can be huge, but if you are trying to do something for someone else, it's so much easier to keep on going than if you are trying to do it for yourself. So Patricia made helping other women her goal. She rose through the ranks of the legal profession and achieved a number of firsts. Having gained my uh, law degree at the age of 20, I was in 1977 at the age of 21 called to the bar and went on to practice as a lawyer. Then in 1991, at the age of 35, I became the first black woman and the youngest woman ever to be a Queen's Counsel. Queen's Counsel is a title that is awarded to some barristers on account of their merit and expertise. It essentially means senior or highly qualified and it is a status that many barristers aspire to. Again, Patricia achieved this younger than most. In fact, I was the youngest person since Pitt the Younger to become a Queen's Counsel. Now Patricia Scotland QC, she became the first black woman to be appointed Assistant Recorder, Recorder and Deputy High Court Judge in the UK. And in 1997, she was the youngest ever woman and first ever black woman to be elected as a bencher. There are four inns of court and you have to belong to an inn in order to be a barrister. And a bencher is like the, the ruling body which uh, governs the inn. And I was the youngest person and first black woman to be so honoured to be appointed as a bencher. She was able to do great things for people in her legal career, but some of her proudest accomplishments come from what she did next. In that same year, I was appointed to be a member of the House of Lords and later became a minister in the United Kingdom's government, serving in the Foreign and Commonwealth Office, the Home Office and the Lord Chancellor's Department. I was the first woman since the post was created in 1315 to be appointed Her Majesty's Attorney General for England, Wales and for Northern Ireland too. Now a government minister and the Queen's chief legal advisor, with the power to make real decisions in this country, she set out on a campaign to change and improve women's lives. And in these posts, I was able to work on reform and legislation, 
affecting matters very close to my heart, undertaking major reform of the criminal justice system and introducing measures which very significantly reduce domestic violence and violence against women and girls. The inter, in the Inter-Ministerial Group on Domestic Violence, which I chaired, uh, we, it led to the de delivery of a multidisciplinary approach to tackle this crime. It cut domestic violence by 64% and resulted in annual savings of 7.1 billion in England and Wales. Then in 2015, she became Secretary General of the Commonwealth. Wowzers! You may have your own opinions about the Commonwealth, as it is a group of countries that have been colonised at one point or another by Britain. But today they meet as equals to hold important decisions on how to solve global problems that we all face. Secretary General is one of the highest positions in its leadership. Patricia never thought she would be able to take on a job like this. In terms of obstacles uh, for me becoming Secretary General, I'm sure no one thought I would become Secretary General. I come from the tiniest island in the Caribbean. Dominica only has 72,000 people. So if you have one Dominican in a room, I say you have a huge um, percentage of our population. I didn't have a team. I didn't have, any, but what I did have was a vision and a view of what we could be. And it is that vision, even now, having achieved acclaim and success on the world stage and playing this huge global role that drives Patricia on. One third of the population of our planet live in Commonwealth countries. And that is over 2.4 billion across the five regions of the world, more than 60% of them under the age of 30. And the countries in which they live are set in every continent and ocean. Just think of the richness and the inclusivity of that Commonwealth's diversity. And in this context, I made clear on becoming Secretary General that my ambition and purpose is to put the wealth back into Commonwealth, but also to put the common back into wealth. And this really means opening up horizons of hope and opportunity for people in all our member countries, particularly those in vulnerable or isolated locations and from marginalised or disadvantaged communities and backgrounds. And the Commonwealth can be a powerful means for enabling the voices of all to be heard on the global stage and for the concerns of the marginalised and disadvantaged to be considered when decisions are being made by the more powerful and the more strong. Yes, we face some of the most critical challenges that many of us have ever seen, challenges that threaten our very existence. But together, working and acting as one people, one family, we can make a different future. Patricia sees young people and women as the future of world government. We live in very troubled and troubling times. There are so many things to frighten us. We are living through the COVID pandemic. Climate change is posing an existential threat to so many of us. 
and the economic tsunami that may come as a result of these two intersecting are also frightening so many people. So we have to stand together in solidarity as sisters and brothers determined to change the world. And in that spirit, I'm reminded of the cry that went up in Malta in 2015 for the first ever Commonwealth Women's Forum. Alone, we are invisible. Together, we can be invincible. When we were in Malta, the then Prime Minister of Joseph Muscat came to see the women at the Women's Forum and he spoke with great passion. He said, I've just come from the Youth Forum. So young people under the age of 30. And he said, there was our heart, the beating heart of the Commonwealth. And he said, now I come to join the women. And here are the brains of the Commonwealth. And then he said this, I am later going to be with the heads. And so quite clearly, the young people were the heart, the women were the brain, that the men were going to meet with some women as the heads. Men still hold most of the leadership positions in the Commonwealth, but it's Patricia's dream that this will change one day. She is working to change the roles of women across the world by setting targets for the Commonwealth government to let women have the opportunity to hold positions of power. Love this, Patricia. Collectively, Commonwealth member countries have set themselves the goal of ensuring that women hold at least 30% of elected political officers. At present, only one in five Commonwealth parliamentarians is a woman. 10 Commonwealth countries have achieved the target of 30% or more women ministers. And I'm confident that we can change this for the better, for the future, that we will need the commitment of the girls and young women today to just think about the power that is within them and to understand that they have the talent, the ability to make the difference, to be the difference that we need to see in this world. And if you care as much as Patricia does about ending domestic violence, you are exactly the kind of young woman she is looking for to take up the government position. In her role as Commonwealth Secretary General, she is fighting to raise women up. Tackling violence against women and girls has long been a priority for me. Domestic violence affects one in three women across the world. We all know or can imagine the pain and lasting damage it causes for those directly affected and for the societies in which they live. And sadly, that means the communities in which we all live. With determination and united action, progress can be made, but it takes all of us from wherever we are to recognize that we are powerful, we have choices, and we can address this and we can make it better. It's just that we need to do it together and we need not to be silent about it. So we must 
not be complacent, but we can take encouragement from the fact that the past century has witnessed the greatest advances, advances for gender equality in human history. For instance, in 1893, New Zealand became the first self-governing country to allow women to vote in parliamentary elections. In 1960, Sri Lanka elected the world's first female prime minister. Yet even after a century during which gender gap has narrowed more quickly than ever before, huge progress is still required in order for a girl born today to be on equal footing with a boy. Raising other women into leadership so that they can enact these changes is very important to Patricia. She longs for a day when women and men are equal. While I am fortunate to have been able to claim a lot of firsts in my career, I've also in many ways been rather sad to have been the first. And I most certainly do not want to be the last in any of these roles. So I hope that amongst those of you listening to me now are girls and young women who will be the next generation of female leaders and the next and the next after that. I will be so happy when someone tells me I am the second or the 200th to occupy a position to which many women before me have already been appointed. I look forward to the day when I'm told you are the 10 millionth woman to be allowed into this position. It's easy to look at Patricia's life and see someone who has always destined for great things. But as a teenager, not everyone believed in her. When I was 15, I had thought that maybe I could be a lawyer. Most of my family were scientists and my father was greatly disappointed that I wasn't going to be the family's physicist because we had so many scientists amongst my brothers and my sisters that he thought that should be my pathway too. And when I went to speak to my careers officer, I was still one of the few black children in my school. I was met with wry amusement and a little disbelief that I, a child living in Walthamstow, the tenth of twelve in a black family with very few financial advantages, should dare to aspire to join one of the professions which was at that stage predominantly white and male. When I joined the legal profession, 97% of the bar were white male, 3% were women, and 0.01% of those women were black. So when I talked about becoming a lawyer at 15, my careers advisor said that I should perhaps lower my aspirations so that I wouldn't be disappointed. She asked me what I did at the weekends. I was able to say that I worked in Sainsbury's on the counter on a Saturday. And she beamed at me with great delight and said that maybe I should change my aspiration because if I worked really hard, maybe when I left school, I could aspire to become a supervisor in Sainsbury's. 
Now, there's nothing wrong with being a supervisor in Sainsbury's, and it is a great job to have. But it wasn't one that spoke to my talent. But it did tell me how she saw me. And that was a very important thing for me to know. And I understand that had it not been for my mother, my father, and my 11 brothers and sisters, I may have been crushed by what she said. And I may not have aspired to anything more. Were there any times you actually felt like giving up? Well, actually, there were times uh, when I felt like giving up. Um, it was uh, one summer holiday when I was uh, 19. I was between years going to college and I was trying to get a summer job. And I kept on going for interviews, which were very successful when they spoke to me on the telephone. And they sound very exciting. They saw my CV and they were keen to have me. The job was there and it was great because if you listen to me on the telephone, you have no idea what color I am. And you may make assumptions about what I may look like. And I kept on going to these interviews and every time they saw me, they would say, the job has gone. I'm sorry, you've missed it. And when one of my friends would phone up afterwards, they would find that the job was still open. And that kept on happening to me time and time again for the whole summer. It was clear to her that racist attitudes were stopping people from giving her the jobs she was qualified to do. Nowadays, she has a system for calling out discrimination. Well, I think it's absolutely critical actually not to be silent and it's finding a respectful way to do it because I know that the other thing that has said is when when we object to discrimination uh, we're presented as being angry and somehow uh, the problem itself find someone to tell someone you trust to tell and then receive the help that you need to be able to articulate it. And quite often what I do, particularly when something has really, really upset and hurt me, I write it down. I write absolutely everything that I want to say. And I get it all out and I write it again. And then I read it, I rip it up, and then I write the calm letter that more accurately expresses what I feel and what happened. And that's quite often the best way. You need to be clear and concise and be very, very targeted. And that normally gets a better response. But I think you've got to make sure that there are the systems in your system which enables you to speak, but never, never be silent. Don't brush it under the carpet. It won't go away. And even if you can withstand it, it's probably going to happen to somebody else. But at the time, it was deeply frustrating. That summer, I was so angry and hostile to the racism that I had experienced. And I thought, what is the point? But I had my family 
who unfortunately told me that that is what had happened to every single one of them, time and time again. And they encouraged me and said, don't give up, because if you give up, that means they have won. And so never give up. And remember, I was the 10th child. So for the time I came belly aching about what happened to me, my other brothers and sisters would say, get over yourself. Listen to what happened to me. It was so much worse. And so that encouraged me and enabled me and supported me. And uh, with that, I persevered. But I don't know what I would have done had I not had that love and that encouragement and that fortitude. Through these difficulties and setbacks, it was her family who kept her afloat. There will be times when you feel like giving up. And there were other times in my life where the odds just felt so overwhelming. And everybody was telling me that I couldn't do any of the things that I wanted to do because I always was the first. And when I said, look, I don't think I can do this because nobody else has done it, my father would say, great, you can be the first. I said, why am I always having to be the first? To which he said, why not? Each of us has to find someone who will believe in us, who will support us. Those someones can be our friends, our relatives, a teacher, or someone who is a friend of a friend to tell us you can do this. When you're 15 years old, the 10th of 12 children in the only black family in Walthamstow, it's hard to imagine that you will one day be in a position of such great power and responsibility to be able to be changing people's lives across the world. But that is exactly what happened to Patricia. Could this be your path too? The big message that I would like to give all of you is don't let other people define you. Don't let them put limits on your ambition. Because each of you, as my parents told me, each of you have been given a talent which is very, very precious and is yours alone. Never be frightened of failing. Be terrified of not trying. Why not try? I said that to myself at 21. Why not try? The worst that can happen is I'll fail. Well, by the grace of God, I didn't fail. And you might not either, because if I can do this, I think anyone can. This podcast was brought to you by Rising Girl. You have been listening to Break the Glass. Your host, me, M. Hashmi, and our amazing producer, Lucy Hallam. Thank you to all our partners, Nas Legacy, Fawcett Society, Inspiring Girls, Redbridge Council, and many others, including our amazing Rising Girls and Boys, all of our volunteers who help us with our charity and who help to set up this episode and discussion. And of course, a huge thank you to our trustees, and, of course, our guest, the Right Honourable Patricia Scotland QC. It was an honour to have you on our show. If you would like to learn more about Rising Girl and how we can help you rise and achieve your dreams or to watch the full one-hour Q&A session we had with Patricia Scotland, go to risinggirl.co.uk. Rising Girl 
empower, educate, inspire. We'll see you next week.